Man, there's an awful lot of noise in our electronic feeds these days. Every day brings some new bits of information overload about so many things beyond our control. As each Sunday comes around, I'm thinking I could spend yet more time with you digesting something that's just happened within the last 24 hours. Sometimes we do need to do that, of course. But that can get old and may lead us down a late-breaking news rabbit hole. That's not to say we shouldn't be fully engaged as Christians in the vital issues of our time. We must be engaged, fully engaged. But we also need to spend time recharging our spiritual batteries, remembering who we are and whose we are. Taking a deep breath from time to time to consider how faith in a loving God shapes our days, our relationships, our character, and what we value most of all. That's why I lead a virtual morning prayer five days a week, why we have invested so much effort in bringing you quality virtual worship and programming. We owe it to ourselves to notch down the sensory overload and regularly consider John Wesley's wise question, how is it with your soul? Consider Bob's story. For a young man on his way, Bob had had several bad breaks, personally and professionally. He reported he had been attending Christ Church off and on for a couple of years, although he hadn't connected with anyone yet. He said he was one of my anonymous congregants, until now, when he was agitating for some greater understanding about faith or God connection or well, you know, he had a hard time putting into words just exactly what he was after. Bob started with bits of data. 33 years old, grew up in the Midwest, attended church sporadically as a kid, threw off any religious spiritual quest during college, came to New York after graduation to give a shot at acting, after a couple of years tracked into financial services, then engaged to be married, his fiancée died in a car accident a couple of weeks before the wedding. That's when he stumbled back into church. That's the word he used, stumbled. Things got rocky at work. Bob found himself a part of a network of people he did not like or respect. Lonely and isolated, he couldn't make sense of how to reconnect with another woman in what he referred to as the meat market environment. Eventually, he was let go. Not long after, he found another position, but he wasn't sure it was all that different from his old situation. Bob said he had first come to Christ Church midweek. He had been walking by on Park Avenue, and on the spur of the moment, after glancing into the glistening space, he decided to check it out. He found the dark and quiet sanctuary oddly comforting. He had never lit a candle before as an act of piety, but he thought he'd give it a try after watching someone else, and he knelt at the rail for a brief moment. He had no words to say, but he felt as though at least he had maybe dialed the number. He returned on a Sunday a couple of weeks later and was surprised by the fact he was glad he had come. Though he was uncertain of what he actually believed, he found the language, the music, and the people a surprising relief. He also said that for the first time in a long time, he felt connected to the wider world and to issues that were larger than his own. 
Still, he didn't quite know how to make sense of it all, how to relate these matters to a relationship with God. In fact, how to relate to God at all. And this led Bob to say that his reason for coming to speak with me was that he didn't know how to pray. He wanted to, but he couldn't find words that seemed right. They all seemed rather trite or inconsequential or overly pious or, or something. And sometimes when he tried to pray, though it embarrassed him to say so, instead of words, all he had were tears. Now I've had many conversations with people concerning prayer. Though Bob's story was unique in its details, his yearning and questions are part of a much larger human experience. As he told his story, I felt resonances to my own story and the stories of countless others. Not the same, but resonant. Isn't that right for most of us? Don't we gather in this way, not because the details of our stories are the same, but because underneath, at our core, we sense connection with what we name spirit, or God, or truth, or, or love. And because of this, we have an instinct that there's something fundamentally similar about all of us, despite our different stories. That's why most of us who've stumbled into spaces like this have stuck around, although the story hasn't yet been told about dropping in virtually versus dropping in physically. We're in the process of writing that chapter now, aren't we? Hanging in with a faith community, we learn a language that instigates a dialogue with this spirit and with one another. Sometimes this language uses actual words and sometimes it uses music and art and silence and surprising relationships that we discover here. Still, those of us who have been at this a long time, even us well-trained and credentialed professionals, find that occasionally we have no language for prayer, that we are bereft of knowing how to do it, knowing precisely what to say or think or feel. All we have is a deep, profound, inward groan. That's what I sensed Bob had inside when he shared his life with me, a deep, inward groan. I could nearly feel it. And I knew that though he couldn't understand this at the time, he was closer to the heart of prayer at that moment than what often passes for prayer. A deep and large portal had been opened and accessed. Was it his pain that did it? No doubt that played a significant role. As C.S. Lewis put it, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now Bob had chosen to come to a Christian minister with his groan, and I offered what I had, which is my own relationship with God as I have experienced God, especially in the life of Jesus, his followers, the tradition they spawned, and their words they left behind. And I have my life experience, including, but not limited to, my own inward groan. Sometimes these seem to me meager tools in the face of a large circumstance, very meager, but other times they seem immense, surprisingly powerful beyond my understanding. 
That's how I feel when I read that passage from Paul's letter to the Romans at funerals and memorial services, that passage we heard Aaron read a few minutes ago. Those words seem monumental to me, powerful in the face of great loss and confusion and the inevitability of our own deaths. When they come to my attention, I will often whisper a word of thanks that I have these words. Thank you, God, for these words. When Bob was in my office, I pulled down a Bible and turned to those verses that began our lesson. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Bob asked me to read it over several times. Eventually, I read a lot of the rest of the passage. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God. And what then can we say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And the resounding conclusion. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. I told him that I thought this was one of the most stunning passages in the scripture, and that I found in these words a language of strength and purpose and comfort that was at least equal to my deepest distress. Bob quietly reflected that those words had been read at his fiancée's funeral, but at the time he didn't really hear them. Funny that I should pick those up now to share, he thought. I said something like, well, you know, as the cliché says it, timing is everything. The fact that he came to speak with me indicated that he could admit his weakness, that he had a sharp awareness of his inner need and lack of words, and only had a deep inward groan. I told him that elsewhere Paul wrote this cryptic phrase, when I am weak, then I am strong. In moments in which I seem weak, I said, the Spirit can indeed intercede for us with sighs too deep for words. Our job then is to simply accept the opportunity to receive the Spirit's gift on our behalf, allowing the Spirit to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, actually admitting that we cannot do for ourselves, confessing it as it were. In this way, in our weakness, we find our greatest strength. It is a profound paradox at the very heart of authentic spiritual quest. I added, many professed Christians don't really get this. In fact, the really muscular Christianity that seems so rigidly defensive and aggressive simultaneously fundamentally denies this wisdom. When I am weak, then I am strong. Having succumbed to the competitive cultural impulse of us versus them, we're number one, and so on. All one has to do is look to the life of Christ to find the lie in that formulation. He modeled a very different way to walk in the world. We might call it the wisdom of spiritual disarmament. 
The kingdom about which he so often spoke was unlike every other sort of earthly kingdom. This kingdom required a commitment to love and justice. He modeled a very different kind of courageous strength than what the world had grown accustomed to. Sadly, from time to time, that sort of courageous strength even evaded the ranks of the church over the centuries, up to and including the present one. Bob said that though he wasn't comfortable with the whole weakness concept, something sounded right about it. Weakness was a dirty word at his job. For that matter, it was a non-word on the, his high school football squad. Well, actually, it wasn't much respected anywhere, was it? No wonder he had put off coming for a conversation, he said. I told him it was a, a real mystery. Because, of course, the sort of weakness we're talking about led to an awesome kind of strength of which the world was largely bereft. Bob and I had several more conversations. Then he received a job offer in another part of the country that sounded right to him. He told me that among his first orders of business was to find another Christ church. I'm thinking that if that conversation had happened today, I'd tell him virtual church sort of made that anachronistic. No reason he couldn't still stay fully connected. In an email message several months later, he said he was still searching for a good spiritual home, but he signed off this way. By the way, I've been praying for you and Christ Church that you will continue to find the way of strength through weakness. That's become my prayer for myself. Thanks so much, Bob. And I now add, thank you, Bob, for writing my sermon.